hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. This story that I'm about to share is a reminder of the all-accepting love of the Almighty. Early in the Savior's ministry, he took occasion to travel from Judea to Galilee by way of Samaria. Now, most Jews at that time considered Samaritans the lowest class of human being on the earth, and they would not associate with them not even travel through their land. But Jesus, pressed by a need unknown to us, journeyed on the forbidden soil. Now around noon, Jesus and the twelve stopped near Jacob's well in the land of the Samaritans. It's hot. Jesus is tired. As the disciples went away to buy food, Jesus rested on the edge of the well. A woman approached the well carrying a pot of water. You know this story. Jesus says to her, give me to drink. Well, recognizing that he's a Jew, the woman is shocked that he has broken custom and even spoken to her. How is it that thou, being a Jew, she said, askest drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? Now, it seems right here that Jesus sets aside his thirst momentarily and focuses on the woman and the teaching opportunity afforded him. He replied, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Well, the woman doesn't understand. She's thinking literally about water and water pots, but the master is speaking figuratively. So patiently and gently, Jesus leads her to a point of spiritual readiness where she is now prepared to be taught the gospel. Then abruptly, Jesus said to her, Go, call thy husband and come hither, John 4, 16. The woman replied in shamed truth, I have no husband. And now perhaps we see why she's coming to draw water in the heat of the day when there's no other person at the well, because Jesus then says, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. I love this part of the story. This woman was evidently grossly unworthy. Her life had been one of poor choices and many mistakes. Yet, does the master turn her away? Does he deny her or deem her unworthy of his help? No. In fact, in bold and undeniable terms, he declares to her in one of those rare instances that he did so, that he is the promised Messiah. The woman was so impressed 
and so deeply converted that because of her, many Samaritan souls came out to hear Jesus, and they too were converted. Now, I conclude from this story, and I hope I'm on the right track. I don't need to reach a certain level of worthiness to be loved by God and receive help from the Savior. That's why he's the Savior, because he can help me, save me, anytime, anywhere, and in any pitiful condition I'm in, if I'm willing to be helped. This next thing I'm going to say causes people indigestion. If you stop and think about what we want to be, and where we want to be, and who and what we want to be, and then compare that exalted condition to where we are now at the present time, who is worthy? Which one of us is ready to walk into the celestial world? Which of us is ready to be exalted? None. Only one ever was. We are not there yet. And probably in mortality, we won't be. But he still loves you just the way you are, right where you are. And I might add one last thing. If in all your efforts to live your religion and be good, you take all the joy and fun out of life, well, I'm not sure you're doing it right. It's a lot of work, but it should be a lot of fun too. President M. Russell Ballard once taught that unless our personal sacrifices are equivalent to those of our pioneer ancestors, we will never develop, he said, the same faith that they did. Well, what I'm about to share is a little-known story of sacrifice for the sake of the faith. February 1829, notwithstanding snow and the cold, Father Joseph Smith Sr., now in his 58th year, arrived in Harmony, Pennsylvania, in company with his son, Samuel, to visit his other son, Joseph Smith Jr., and his wife, Emma. The work of translating the Book of Mormon was in progress, but moving slowly. In the course of that visit, Father Smith humbly desired to know what the Lord had for him to do. His son, Joseph the seer, inquired of the Lord, and this significant revelation followed. Now behold, a marvelous work is about to come forth among the children of men. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, that you may stand blameless before God at the last day. Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. And it continues on. Doctrine and Covenants, section 4. We have no record of Father Smith's immediate reaction to that revelation. However, some months later, after the Book of Mormon was published, a Quaker man came to his home and announced that he had purchased a note or a debt 
against Father Smith, and now he was here to collect. When Father Smith asked him why he had bought a note which was not his own, the Quaker refused to answer. Father Smith offered him six dollars, promising that the rest would follow if the man would wait. The man's response is revealing. No, he said. I will not wait one hour, and if you do not pay me immediately, you shall go forthwith to the jail, unless, and he ran to the fireplace and made violent gestures with his hands towards the fire, unless you will burn up them books of Mormon, but if you will burn them up, then I will forgive you the whole debt, end of quote. To this, Father Smith answered decidedly. That I shall not do. Then answered the Quaker, you shall go to the jail. At this point, Lucy Mack Smith offered her gold beads that constituted the remainder of the debt, but the man refused them. He called a waiting constable who arrested Father Smith and took him to jail. Along the way, Father Smith's captors made him this offer. The men by whom I was taken, he said, commenced using every possible argument to induce me to renounce the Book of Mormon, saying how much better it would be for you to deny that silly thing than to be disgraced and imprisoned when you might not only escape but also have the note back, as well as the money you have paid on it. Father Smith refused the offer and was locked in a jail cell with a murderer and kept in prison for the next 30 days. While a prisoner, Father Smith kept the faith, preached the restored gospel, and upon his release, baptized two into the church. In that revelation first given to Father Smith in 1829, two qualities are mentioned twice as qualifying one for the work of God. Notwithstanding his weaknesses, they seem to characterize the remainder of the days of Joseph Smith Sr. They are faith and charity. All right, next story. The Lord is everywhere, even where you are right now and when you are. Our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ are always with us and aware of us, and they love us in sometimes the most tender ways. It was long after dark when Mom was driving home with two little children in the car, a five-year-old and an infant who was crying in an urgent need of a diaper change. Mom was desperately looking for a place to pull off the road and change the diaper. Just then, she passed a pull-off, marking a roadside monument. She turned around and went back, and while she was changing the diaper, Erinne, the five-year-old, asked if she could get out of the van. Mom said yes, and the little one got out and ran around the van, shaking out some wiggles. You know how this works. Then Erinne noticed a nearby hill with steps going up to the top. She got really excited, and tugging on her mom's jacket, she said, Mom, Mom, Jesus lives up there. Can we go say hi? <laughs> Mom 
Mom laughed and said, sure, honey. To humor her daughter, Mom picked up the baby, wrapped him in a blanket, it was cold outside, and started up the hill after her daughter. When they got to the top, Erin A. sat down on the ground, cross-legged, and declared she was not moving until she saw Jesus. Mom sat down cross-legged beside her and asked her why she thought Jesus lived there. Here they were, sitting on a hilltop at night, not far from Preston, Idaho, overlooking the beautiful Cache Valley, having this intense discussion about where Jesus lived. Somehow, Erin got it into her mind that Jesus lived in the tops of the mountain. Erin said, Mom, don't worry. Jesus knows me, and if I ask him, he will come down and say hi, because he loves me. <laughs> Mom tried to explain that, yes, Jesus did love her, but they needed to go. It was cold and late, and they needed to get home. Mom stood up and made to go down the hill. Aaron got upset, saying, Mom, we can't leave yet. He's not here. Then suddenly she cried, Mom, Mom, he's coming. He's coming. Look. And at that moment, Aaron pointed up into the night sky. Mom looked up and a big, brilliant shooting star lit up the night sky and went all across the heavens from one side to the other. As Aaron jumped up and down with excitement, Mom sat back down in awe. To her, and to Aaron a. It was a sign that Jesus was indeed watching <laughs> and saying hi to the child. Do I believe just such a thing? You bet I do. I'm just that simple-minded to believe it. Next story. Again, sacrifice brings forth the blessings of heaven. Those of you out there listening to me who have served and are still serving the Lord and others in any way you can during this pandemic to keep the rest of us on the covenant path, blessed are you of the Lord and how, how beautiful upon the mountains are your feet too. Thank you. Thank you for serving every way that you do. This next story, believe it or not, was printed in one of the church magazines. I, it was written by Afton Reed Luker, and I'm going to quote it exactly as Afton wrote it. She said, When my grandfather, Robert Hazen, went on his mission to England, he left behind a family of eight children. Grandpa's carpentry had always provided for his family's growing needs, but without him, Grandma Etta and the children had to struggle to meet their expenses. Of the children, only Mamie, who later became my mother, Afton said, and her sisters, Ivy and Edna, were old enough to go to work. Every week, they brought home their scant wages and planned with Grandma how to best spend them. One night at the kitchen table, Grandma puzzled over the budget with her three oldest daughters. The money wasn't stretching far enough. You've been there. The rent was due, and they had no more flour in the house. No matter how they arranged the budget, 
they could barely afford to pay for food and shelter. But what about the family's obligation to the Lord? Girls, Grandma finally said, after rent we have enough to either pay our tithing or buy a sack of flour. The little ones will be hungry. What should we do? Pay the tithing, Ma, Mamie whispered. The Lord will provide. The next morning, Grandma put on her shawl and walked a mile to the bishop's storehouse to pay the family's tithing. When she returned home, she was surprised to see a big box on the front porch. It was full of groceries, including a sack of flour. Children, come quickly, she called. As Grandma peered into the box, she noticed a note tucked inside. The children gathered around as Grandma read aloud, quote, Sister Hazen, during the night, I remembered that Robert did some carpentry for me before he went to England. I never paid him for that work. Grandma's voice faltered as she continued. Perhaps groceries would be more help than money. The note was signed by a friend who owned a grocery store across town. The sweet testimony my mother Mamie bore about this experience gave me a deep respect for the principle of tithing. Through her example and my own experiences, Afton said, I have come to know that the Lord meant it when he said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week.